We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this week we'll be talking about oh yeah it's upon us mls decision day and all of the craziness that is going on as teams listen for that music to stop and hope that they have a chair when it comes to mls playoffs we'll be talking about the supporter shield going on the galaxy dysfunction champions league review of what happened uh, maybe a little bit of what's going to happen zlatan always zlatan bale pulisic and so much more but first joining me as always my friend my colleague my guiding light. David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, November 2nd in the year 2020? As everybody knows, tomorrow is the day. Tomorrow is election day here in the United States. Everybody's got election fever. Everybody's wondering what's going to happen with our country, with our world, obviously with the uh, the election. Uh, crazy and interesting times we are living in. Mossy, how are you dealing with the craziness? I am doing well, although uh, I'd like an election for a new Michigan football coach uh, because oh, yeah. this past weekend was a tough one, Alexi. So I want to make sure I have this right. Uh, God's country up there has a number of wonderful uh uh, institutes and in, uh, of, of, of higher learning when it comes to the University of Michigan, your alma mater, and uh, the biggest rival, I guess, and certainly in-state rival would be Michigan State. Now, usually, in general, generally, right, the Wolverines of Michigan are, are better than the Spartans of Michigan State. But you guys played this weekend, right? Am I, am I mistaken in anything there? That is correct. And how did it go, my friend? Uh, Michigan State uh, came into the big house and picked up a victory. A week after losing at home to Rutgers, mind you. So based on the laws of syllogism, I think we can conclude that Rutgers is better than Michigan this season. Wow. Yes, I love that. So uh, I was talking to my good friend Rob Stone, and he he tries to educate me when it comes to college sports. And I, I could be mistaken, but I I can remember a moment during our conversation where he turned to me and said, uh, this could be the worst Michigan State football team in a long time. And yet your Wolverines, at home, by the way, in the big house. The, the big house isn't so big right now because it, it doesn't have people in it, but it's still a big house. That, oh, that, must, that must be painful. That must be painful for uh, all of you folks when it comes to uh, Wolverines. It's one thing to lose. It's another thing to lose to Michigan State, right? 
Correct. Jim Harbaugh, by the way, is now three and three against Michigan State. And you can talk about coulda, woulda, shouldas and drop punts. But as Bill Parcells famously said, you are what your record is. So he is three and three against Michigan State, despite the fact we've been favored in all six games. We've had the better talent in all six games, which is noteworthy because after his annual beatdown at the hands of Ohio State, he's 0-5 in that rivalry. Um, Harbaugh apologists like to point out that, well, what do you want him to do? Ohio State just has more talent. Well, the gap in recruiting between Ohio State and Michigan is actually smaller than the one between Michigan and Michigan State. So why is it that he's completely incapable of punching up in one rivalry, but he gets punched up against in the other one? If it's all about talent and recruiting, then shouldn't we do to Michigan State every year what Ohio State does to us? Oh, wow. Wow. You're coming in with the with the hammer right off the bat. I don't know. I didn't listen to anything you just said. I mean, well, I listened to a little bit of it, but I, I just know you're angry. Your team lost, which actually... Is kind of wonderful. Uh, I really enjoy it. The the dynamic, uh, uh, to, to your point, though, it, it's true. If, if someone were to get into Michigan State and Michigan, and all things being equal, I'm not talking about money or, or all that kind of stuff, the, the conventional wisdom says you go to you go to Michigan, that it is a, I, I hesitate to use this because I know my friends from Michigan State are going to uh, push back, but that it's a better uh, college to go to. So the recruiting, like you said right now, it should be in favor. You should have more to recruit with when you are Michigan versus Michigan State. Uh, I don't know about Michigan versus Ohio State. That might be uh, a different type of uh, a proposition. Enough about this American football stuff, uh, Mossy. As everybody knows, uh, we're going to talk about the election later on at the end of, at the end of the show. But uh, we also had Halloween that came and went. I don't know about you, Mossy. Uh, it was a Halloween unlike any other Halloween, unfortunately, and yet it's no surprise given the circumstances. It was a dark and dead Halloween, not dead in like the ooh, good, spooky way, just dead in terms of void of any of the uh, of the kids running around. I feel I feel bad for all the kids out there that missed 2020 and didn't get that real Halloween experience. And I'm not saying people didn't go above and beyond and try to do some different things and be creative, absolutely. But the reality is that you know, they weren't walking around. Uh, they weren't doing Halloween the way Halloween is supposed is, is supposed to be done. And that's the only silver lining is that I didn't have to uh, face a, a night and further days where I, I'm given this pile of almond joys and mounds, uh, which are an abomination as far as I'm concerned when it comes uh, comes to candy. And the only reason I can think of why uh, any company would want to put these out and 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 foist them on a, a generations now uh, on this Halloween is because th they just want to see not just the kids but uh, the parents just squirm and be irritated because they're just horrible candies. Uh, your take on almond joys and, and mounds before we move on to much more important things, Mossy? Uh, not a fan. Yes. All right. Good. Oh. I knew I liked you. I knew I liked you. But let us know because I'm sure there are fans out. I know that. No, there are no fans out there. Okay. This is, we need to get to the bottom of this because there is some sort of conspiracy that's going on that these, that these candies even exist. All right. You're getting me riled up too much. Mossy, let's, uh, let, let, let's dig into this. Uh, you ready to light this candle? Yep. All right. We're going to start right off the bat with uh, Major League Soccer. We are at that point of year uh, when we are coming down to decision day, the moment when the music stops and a certain amount, and it's changed over the years and certainly has changed this year, of teams are left with 
playoff spots. Uh, some of that has been already decided. Uh, a lot of that has already been decided relative to playoff spots. But there is that musical chairs type of thing going right uh, going right now when it comes to uh, the teams, which makes it that much more interesting. We'll be broadcasting. Uh, this is going to be a fun decision day because there are these teams that have the potential of making the playoffs. And then within the actual playoff teams, whether you've made it or not, you're jockeying for position. Uh, all of that stuff is interesting because then when it gets to the actual playoffs, it can make a difference. It can make a difference who you're playing, make a difference where you're playing, and it can obviously make a difference even if you're playing because there are buys when it comes to the, uh, to the playoffs. Now, I know a lot of people follow MLS that listen to this. Some people don't. Just for so everybody understands, this this year is very, very different than previous years in that what they have done is they have gone to points per game. The reason why they have done that is because of the, the strangeness that is 2020, so much so that we have, within the 2020 season, I'm calling that using that term loosely, but within 2020 and the games that have been played, we have had obviously uh, started off in normal times. That only lasted two, three games. And then uh, we went to lockdown. Then we went to a bubble in Orlando, a bubble in which the group stage of the tournament actually was included in the regular season. Then we actually went back to home markets, except with the with the COVID situation, games were postponed, games were canceled. So we have teams that aren't even finishing the season with the same amount of games. We also have the geography that was involved in that rivalries were encouraged. And so the normal situation of travel wasn't on the table. And so you had teams that played multiple opponents due to proximity as opposed to due to uh, just a regular schedule. You also uh, had the Canadian teams, which didn't even play their home games in Canada because of the restrictions and actually adopted, uh, adopted locales in uh, the continental United States to play their games. So a lot of strange stuff going on. Ultimately, as we've said time and time again, it's not about being fair. We know it's not ideal. You're just trying to make the best of the situation. And this is what it comes down to. So at the end of this week, we will finally have what the playoff look, uh, look like. When it comes to uh, the Eastern Conference, there are 10 teams that make it. When it comes to the Western Conference, there are eight teams uh, that make it. When it comes to the East, we have a playoff going on uh, right now. Uh, we have, we have a, you know, a competition going on now for what amounts to about two playoff spots. You got Teams like Chicago and Miami, uh, Atlanta, D.C., Montreal. Uh, they're all vying for those two playoff spots. The fact that, <laughs> that a team like Atlanta is still even involved in this is, is amazing. It would be the most MLS thing ever for Atlanta United to somehow squeak into the playoffs and then go on a run. And by the way, you know if that happens, that run will include a game against Orlando in which Atlanta beats Orlando. I mean, it would be great. Orlando! <laughs> All right, so we got that going on. We got the battle for first place uh, in the uh, just in the East, and that involves Toronto and Philadelphia. We got the battle for home field advantage. Uh, so that's just where you ultimately end up finishing in terms of if you're going to host something or not. And then we have, as I mentioned, play-in games, uh, which means that there are teams that will qualify for buys, which gives you a rest, gives you an opportunity to thin the herd and go on. In the West, 
there are two playoff spots available also that are being vied for. Teams like Vancouver, uh, Colorado, San Jose, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Los Angeles Galaxy also. Now, a lot of things have to happen, but things can happen. And the Galaxy under Dominic Kinnear now squeaking in would also be the ultimate MLS type of thing. First playoff, uh, first places in play over at the West. You got Sporting KC, you got Seattle, uh, you got Portland. Although Portland actually plays midweek, uh, so we'll see how their point per game changes if they were to win. They can squeak in uh, and possibly get that uh, that first place. Um, home games again uh, are in play. The Shield, as we mentioned right now, is coming down to Toronto and Philadelphia. Philadelphia went into Columbus in just a brutal environment this uh, this weekend. It just looked ugly. It looked cold. It looked inhospitable. But you got to play the game. And uh, Columbus finally stepped up against Philadelphia, got the, got the win at home. But it meant that Philadelphia wasn't able to clench the supporter shield. So they'll try to do it again uh, this weekend. And Toronto is going to have a say. Uh, Toronto finds a way. To, uh, to be in that conversation. And then uh, just individual things that are going on. We always talk about who scores goals because it's the most important thing in our game right now. You got Rossi kind of running away, not running away, but 13, 13 goals with the golden boot. So just a lot of stuff that is going to come down here to the wire. And that's a good thing because I know there's a, there's a huge debate out there about playoffs and regular season and should you have playoffs and all that. You want things on the line when you get to the end of the regular season. And there's so many different things that could happen. Is that a, is that a good synopsis of where we are right now MLS-wise, Mossy, if I missed anything? You want to take a deep breath there? That was a <laughs> I just wanted to make sure people understand that this is going to be something special this week. Well, so as you mentioned, in lieu of the fact that teams are going to end up playing a different amount of games, the league has officially gone to points per game. Uh, now, it's not going to impact the East because everybody's going to finish on 23 games there, but it will definitely impact the West. Uh, I think I know the answer to this question, but it has been a bit of a controversy. Does it bother you that a team like Colorado, having played such fewer games than everybody else, is looks likely here to make the playoffs. Some people argue that uh, the whole point of the regular season is everybody else had to deal with this incredible grind and this marathon of games, and they didn't. And and now, based on points per game, they're going to get in. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I don't think that it, it, when you look at Colorado, I think that they would be a little peeved that you framed it as – they didn't have to go anything or they weren't challenged by anything. <laughs> they certainly went through challenges. The reason why they weren't able to complete those games was because of the COVID situation. Argue they had the going. ultimate adversity more than anybody. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's the way I'm going to flip. Uh, that's yeah. the way I'm going to flip that one. I, I, am I bothered by it? No, Ma. See, I, I recognize that nothing is going to be like any other year. And that's why when we had the whole supporter shield controversy, I came down to don't don't give it. Look, somebody's going to win the supporter shield at the end of this uh, at the end of this week. And congratulations to whoever it ultimately is. You won't, nor should you care that there is an asterisk. But there is an asterisk. It is unlike any other supporter shield. It doesn't mean that it's not of value. It doesn't mean that you haven't gone through incredible and unprecedented challenges and obstacles out there. But don't tell me that it's anything remotely resembling any other supporter shield that has happened in the past. So, yeah, I mean... The fact that Colorado may get into the playoffs and have played fewer games, hey, welcome to 2020. You, you bob and weave. You adapt. You got to be flexible. And as I said before, even in normal times, Mossy, soccer isn't life. 
uh, isn't fair and, and life isn't fair. So you just got to be able to roll with, uh, with, what's, with, with what's going on. There will be people that don't make the playoffs that are going to look at Colorado and say, yeah, but, yeah, but, okay, fine. But if you're not in the playoffs, we're not going to care what you say because you don't get hurt if you don't make the playoffs, at the very least make the playoffs when it comes, uh, when it comes to Major League Soccer. What other, what other stuff is, is standing out to you right now when it comes to Major League Soccer, Mossy? I will say that was a nice win for Columbus to beat Philadelphia. Columbus, they were the supporter shield leaders for a long time there. And then uh, both Philadelphia and Toronto just kind of blew past them. But they needed a game like this to kind of remind everybody that, hey, we're, we're, we're still here. We're one of the elite teams in the East and we're going to be a factor in the playoffs. I also thought NYCFC beating the Red Bulls the way they did. Maxi Morales uh, doing Maxi Morales things. If he's healthy in the playoffs, uh, then they all of a sudden become a very dangerous team as well. Winter is coming, Mossy, okay? The playoffs are coming, and strange things happen in the playoffs. They do every single year. That's why when you look at, you know, the last 24 uh, MLS Cup winners, only seven, I think, have actually won the Supporter Shield and then gone on to parlay that in. And even when you look at it over over the last 10 years, I was watching the game yesterday with uh, with our friends over there at ESPN. I think Taylor Tolman was talking about just it, the, the chances of, of winning Supporters Shield and then going on and winning MLS Cup um, are, are not great because historically that hasn't, that hasn't happened. And strange things happen. And, and I would caution everybody, including myself, because at times I get uh, out of control, of looking at a specific game as we come down the stretch and saying, all right, that's what that team is when, it, when, when that, and it is a, a flick of a switch when the playoffs, uh, when the playoffs show up. So yes, you want to be playing well, but just because you have a blip, just because you're you don't look great on the last day or the or the last couple of weeks of the season, doesn't mean that uh, that you can't do great things in the playoffs. And some of these teams that are going to that are going to sneak in, that's in the back of their mind. That's what they're thinking. They may say, I mean, look, Atlanta may say, God, it has been a crap year. Okay, they might even say privately, we do not deserve to go to the playoffs. But if you get that lifeline, if you get that second chance, you make the most of it and you rest on the fact that this is a league of relative parity and this is a this is a new opportunity. All right. New new life is given through the playoffs. And I know for some people they don't like that because they think you should only have one life. Eh, whatever. But this is the situation. So. There will be those that take that new life and look completely different uh, going forward. I agree with you, though, that that, that the Columbus uh, the Columbus win uh, was important. There were a, there was a lot of horrible weather going on. By the way, I mean, in, in a strange way, we all want fans in the st- in the stands uh, and and the return to fans in the stands, but it looked miserable whether it was uh, in New York City where it was pouring up in New England where it was pouring you mentioned Columbus uh, poor Jim Curtin I mean <laughs> I don't I think he underestimated how cold it was when he got there uh, uh, got out there on the field he had like a windbreaker on and it was an arctic tundra going on over there uh, over there in uh, in Columbus um you know there there are a couple of teams here that uh, we we can just put to bed, including FC Cincinnati, who, whether it's a normal year or a completely abnormal year, evidently they're just not that uh, not that good. They'll get a reset when it comes, and, and all teams do, that have that soft launch when it comes to a new stadium, but uh, then it's for real uh, in, in a strange way. And it doesn't mean you let them off the hook for what's, what's happened, but 
they gotta they gotta fix that uh, out there. We've talked, uh, and we're, you know we're not gonna talk about um, Chicharito right now because we're gonna talk about him later in the uh, uh, later in the show. But one and zero for uh, Dominic Kinnear in this latest caretaker type of role, and you know, they 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 look they looked good. They give themselves at least a chance to potentially be uh, be in the playoffs if if the stars align and things go right Vancouver who I mean do you remember in the bubble Mossy with Vancouver and the way we were looking at the white caps and what <laughs> what that situation was and they didn't have a lot of their players and they just clawed and scraped their way back into a, a, a position to possibly uh, uh, to possibly make the playoffs uh, Real Salt Lake eliminated the Houston Dynamo el- eliminated Houston Dynamo Dynamo being coached by uh, Tab Ramos in his first professional coaching gig. Not good. Uh, an auspicious type of first season. He'll get it. He'll get another one. Uh, but if it doesn't get better and get dramatically better next year, he will be gone and he will be gone within the uh, within the season. He knows that. I'm not telling him anything, uh, anything that uh, that he doesn't know. Uh, other things that stand out to you, Masi, uh, when we when we look at this uh, this MLS week. Nashville are in while inter Miami are right now on the outside looking in, still alive, but uh, Nashville was supposed to be the quote unquote other expansion team this season. So what do you make of that? Well, I do think it's a little, uh, it's a little apples to oranges in that Nashville, congratulations. It's wonderful what they did. It was very strategic. I think it was very pragmatic at times. You could say it was very, boring in that I don't look to Nashville to get my juices flowing and they don't care. They don't care what gets my juices flowing. They, they said, we got to find a way at least to compete the first year. And they, and they have done that. I think inter Miami, the way that they have portrayed themselves and that brand, there was a much higher expectation that this was not just going to be a successful team, but this was going to be a sexy team. This was going to be something the likes of which, We've only seen with teams like Atlanta, LAFC, and and while back, but Seattle coming on the scene. In that we're not not only going to win, but we're going to sign big stars. We're going to dazzle and awe you, and it's going to be in a style that that everybody can agree on is something something more. Uh, that hasn't necessarily uh, necessarily happened, but you know they're 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 still in it, and they have started to at least improve. But I think that they are one of the big disappointments when it comes to 2020. Uh, I guess even if they make the playoffs or not, I mean, if they were to make the playoffs and then go for a run, fine, because it's been a a build and in progress during the season. But if they don't make the playoffs, uh, I think it'll be not only a disappointment, but it'll be that much more of a disappointment because Nashville will have not just made the playoffs, but made the playoffs with games to spare. And, you know, as I said, looked just like a solid competitive team. Nashville was in a certain sense smart. They learned the lessons from the past. They recognized what is functional and what is competitive in Major League Soccer. And they went about, you know, getting that type of team together and it is and it is paid uh, paid dividends right there the new york red bulls they just make the playoffs that's 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 what they do they don't necessarily win <laughs> mls cup no not necessarily don't they don't win mls cup but they make the playoffs and they continue to uh, to go on through uh the, the you mentioned nycfc they did they looked very very good uh, yesterday as they demolished the new york red bulls at home uh, at yankee stadium uh, you know, they they might be one of those teams that I know I said that it doesn't necessarily matter what you did in the in the 
in the regular season, but there was a spark there that bodes well for the future as they go in uh, as they go into the playoffs. Other stuff, Mossy. Supporter Shield. What do you think, Mossy? If you if you had to go with somebody. Well, so uh, the deal there is Philadelphia face New England, uh, Toronto are away to the Red Bulls. They are level on points, level on wins, but Philadelphia has a far superior goal difference, which Toronto couldn't possibly make up. So Philadelphia is still in the driver's seat. Uh, Toronto has to get more points than Philadelphia on decision day to get the shield. Philadelphia just need to match or better Toronto's results. So, yeah, I, I, I would think Philadelphia will, will will get the result they need, and I think they they take the shield. Yeah, I'll say that they, they're not, not not because you said it, but I'll say I'll say that they don't get the shield because. They fail on the last day, which is okay. Which is okay from an MLS Cup perspective. So, but they would be very disappointed. They seem very intent on getting that supporter show to be their first major trophy. So that would be a maybe because they don't believe that they can win MLS Cup ultimately, and so this is the only opportunity they have to raise a uh, raise a trophy. And look, it, it'll be a success no matter what. But yes, they they kind of need that for for. Uh, for uh, for validation, uh, do you think Mossy? Because I, I mentioned the the battle for home field in twenty twenty. Because you you know you mentioned someone like Toronto FC, which is uh, which is playing as we said all of their games in Connecticut up at Rentschler, and now they're going to play a game just a few miles south down in Harrison in New Jersey. Do you think it really matters? Do you think? I mean, there's a little bit of travel now, but do you think it ultimately matters? A little bit, but definitely not as much as right. under normal circumstances, for sure. Right. And the way that it has been explained to us, there is no bubble in that this is going to happen just the way that it normally happens uh, with the games and the uh, and the travel and who you match up with. So um, we hope that everything goes as planned and everything is safe. Uh, you know, although we have seen just in the last week with the USL, the problems of getting the uh, championship games for both uh, the championship, USL championship and league one, both being canceled, uh, which, which sucks. It sucks for the, it sucks for the league. It sucks for the teams and the players not to be able to do it. I get it. I understand, you know, the health aspect and the, uh, and the safety and the security aspect of it when it comes uh, to what's going on. But it, it, it's a pity, and it just highlights how precarious things are right now when it comes to sports, which I know at times are looked at as essential services, but it's sports, okay? We're all going to be just fine even if we don't see the games. I'm not talking about the business of it, and there is an absolute reality and business behind the sports that affects many people, including yours truly and all of us here because it's what we do for a living but in the in the greater scheme of things we know that it is a luxury as opposed to a, a, a priority mossy you mentioned the galaxy are still alive for a playoff spot but they did make a coaching change so we should get into that yep let's do uh, Edmo it Barros Scalotto is out uh, you said last week that you kind of thought it was probably for the best for for them to part ways so I'm sure you're not surprised at all and, and you think this move makes sense right it, it had to be done and it makes complete sense that they did it. It also makes sense that they did it in season because, um, and, and it's not a vindictive type of thing, but I think, especially for a team like the Galaxy, um, messages and messaging matters. And to do it mid, not mid-season, but with still having games left, when there is still a chance for you to make the playoffs, number one, that's justification right there. Number two, 
the the optics of it, I think, were important. You weren't just going to let things play out because that's not what the galaxy is about. If things aren't right and you believe that things aren't right, then you make a change and you pay what you have to pay and you do it because it's what a super club uh, does. Now they got to go fix it. And, you know, the... Uh, you know, the situation right now is Dom, Dom Kinnear is once again the interim manager. I'm sure he will be uh, a potential uh, replacement, a, a candidate when they, uh, when they figure this out right now. But it was, uh, it, it, it couldn't last. It had to be done. I think that you were looking at not just a, a team, but a club and certainly a fan base that had completely lost faith, hope, and confidence in what Guillermo Barsquilotto was uh, was doing, and it will go down ultimately as a a, a failure on his part uh, with a team that okay, it wasn't the best, but it certainly wasn't what their what their record showed. And you know we're going to talk about Chicharito later on uh, in the show. There will be stories that come out. There always are. But even with this win that they had last night, you always get that bounce when things change because a new new coach or an interim coach can come in and immediately change the things that he or she saw weren't working. And there is a, a sense of rebirth uh, and, uh, and change and a lifting of pressure and a relief, if you will, of an environment that obviously was not good. I'm not saying it was toxic or anything, but it was not a good environment. So th- yeah, this makes, this makes complete sense. Now the question, just like the question in Atlanta of these big clubs are, who are they going to uh, put in there? And on that note, you got Twitter in a tizzy a couple days ago because somebody <laughs> asked you about a potential What'd Galaxy shortlist. And first of all, you said this is still the most coveted job in MLS, which I thought was interesting. And then you said, while there is no shortlist out there, you were just kind of spitballing some names that you think might be under consideration. And it's quite the interesting list you put forth. Uh, I'll just read off the names. Landon Donovan, Robbie Keane, Joe Ellis, Jesse Marsh, Ezra Hendrickson, Chris Armas, Ben Olsen, Miguel Herrera, Mauricio Pochettino, David Wagner, Eric Winalda, John Harks, Dave Vandenberg, Dan Kalishman, Preki, Kenny Arena, and Ralph Rangnick. Uh, first of all, I want to I want you to address the whole mo- most coveted job in MLS thing, and then the name that generated the most reaction in this whole list was Jesse Marsh. People just could hmm. not believe that that yeah. you think it would make any sense for Jesse Marsh where he's at in his career to come back to MLS at this point. So I'll let you uh, expound on that. Okay, when it comes to Major League Soccer, uh, Major League Soccer has been constructed uh, to try to not eliminate, but alleviate as much of the competitive advantage that teams may have. Having said that, you you can't get rid of all of it. And one of the competitive advantages and real advantages that a team like the Los Angeles Galaxy has is that they play in Los Angeles. If I had a nickel for every single time I heard a player overseas talk about MLS and talk about it in the context of going to New York or Los Angeles, uh, I would be a very rich man. And they never talk about going to Cincinnati, okay? They never talk about going uh, to Kansas City. And it's not that they can't be sold on those things. But there is a inherent advantage that big market and, for lack of a better word, famous markets uh, have. And in particular, Los Angeles for the lifestyle that it, that it affords, the images and the illusions that it, uh, that it creates in the minds of potential, uh, of potential players. And... 
potential coaches. This is still the Los Angeles Galaxy. And as much as the, the brand has been tarnished over the last couple of years, it is still the super club. It is still the club that when people think about Major League Soccer and when they think about soccer in the United States, they think about the Los Angeles Galaxy. And yes, David Beckham, uh, maybe more so than anybody in sports, drove that brand and made and gave it that that relevance, right? So when I think about who wants to coach um, and where they want to coach, you know, for example, Yap Stam, okay? Do you think that there is a chance in hell that if he had been offered the opportunity to coach the Los Angeles Galaxy, that he would have chose them? Uh, no, he would have chosen the Galaxy. Yeah. Of course, of course, he would have chosen the Galaxy. Right now, I think I think there are there are coaches coaching in MLS that that are that may be very very happy and may be paid well and may be living in in a wonderful environment. And yet, if you offered them the opportunity to coach the Los Angeles Galaxy, they would jump at it because they would see it not as a lateral move but as an upward move to a bigger club with a bigger history, therefore bigger potential. And, and right now, you have the opportunity to come in in the same way that Bruce Arena came in and be the hero and return the Galaxy name and brand to glory. Because you can go only go up, okay? And so I, that's why I think it still is the most attractive. Now, there are those that will say that LAFC is or um, Atlanta United is. New York's a little weird because of the, the one team we're talking about is a team that doesn't even play in New York, and another team that we're talking about plays at, at, uh, at Yankee Stadium. So they're they're not as established and fundamental uh, yet. But it's still it doesn't mean it's not attractive to be able to live in New York, even if you're coaching in uh, in New Jersey. So I I still say that Los Angeles Galaxy, especially for bigger type of names is still the most coveted position uh, out there. Do you agree or disagree, Mossy? Uh, yeah, I probably agree. I, I understand where you're coming from on that. But um, Jesse Marsh, uh, okay. listen, not okay, everybody... So let's, let's, get, let's get into the list now, not uh, as you mentioned. Not everybody views Europe as the holy grail, but Jesse strikes me as somebody who does. And based on the uh, career moves he's made up to this point and any inter every interview he's given... Uh, his ultimate ambition is to sort of shatter this glass ceiling and become the first American to coach a top, top European club. And things seem to be progressing towards that path. And you don't think it would be sort of a bizarre career move if he turned around at this point and came back to MLS to coach the Galaxy? You're looking at it with uh, with blinders on, soccer blinders on, okay? And you're you're projecting, okay? And and by the way, what you're saying isn't necessarily untrue. I I, I know Jesse, but I certainly don't. You know, I don't, I don't know intimately what he and his family think. Obviously, you can discern a little bit in terms of the path that he has taken. But there, there are so many different things that factor into reasons why we make decisions relative to where we work. And some of them are, are very practical, like money uh, or location. Um, and some of them have to, have to do with different things. You have family, you have kids, you have comfort you have comfort level so i don't see it as strange as uh as you do now a lot of people feel like you know the next move for him has to be uh, and probably will be to the bundesliga let's say 
and, and he will be wonderful. I think he'll do a great job. Jesse Marsh is a, is a good coach, and I think he'll be a good coach regardless of where he goes. He's been um, afforded opportunities that others haven't, and he has used those uh, because of the pathway that the Red Bull organization has opened up for him uh, that isn't open necessarily for, for others, but he was very smart and strategic in identifying that this, this, be, was, this could be something to help him achieve, uh, achieve his dreams. But no, I don't, once again, I think this happened with Landon Donovan. There was this projection that we as a soccer nation and in the American soccer culture put on him, uh, and now we're putting it on Jesse Marsh in that they have a responsibility to themselves, to us, to American soccer to continue on that path. And like you said, to break that that's that glass ceiling, wherever it, it, it may be. It was wrong then and it would be wrong now relative to Jesse Marsh. Now, look, Jesse might 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 say that's exactly what I want to do and I want to take that on. But I wouldn't look at it as bizarre if he said, I see the Los Angeles Galaxy as either a sideways step or maybe even a, 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 you know, a forward step for me, once again, with all the different reasons that I listed as to why it is an attractive type of, destin uh, of destination. And Europe's not going anywhere. It's still there. Hell, Zlatan came and went and sure hasn't, he sure hasn't missed a beat. Uh, and would, would that be it? Would you be calling it quits? You know, Landon Donovan said, I'm more more comfortable for whatever reason. I, I don't ultimately it was his decision and his reason, and it's a personal reason. And that it is an affront to American soccer and, and American soccer culture out there that Landon Donovan would have the audacity not to live out our dream for him. I mean, come on. Come on, Mossy. And the same thing applies to someone like Jesse Marsh. Well, speaking of Landon Donovan, the first two names on this list are Landon and Robbie Keane. Uh, could you see with how important uh, a coaching hire this is for the Galaxy, them taking a chance on uh, going the sort of former player route, but with a very thin coaching resume? Would that be a, a risk that they can't afford to take at this point, or, or you could see them doing that? Well, they went former player with Guillermo Barcelotto and uh... – you know, with with experience, by the way, so that didn't quite work out. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I listed out it was all the top of my head, and there's no rhyme or reason in terms of the order that I put. They were just people that I mean, even for example, I didn't put Steve Trundolo uh, Trundolo on the list, but he he should have been on the list. I think he will at some point if he wants it, and once again. He may have a different path that he wants to take there, but at, at some point, I think he's going to come into the conversation for an MLS job, given his background um, with the national team and obviously being American and the experience that he has had over uh, over in Germany. People, you know, have a Jurgen Klinsmann, uh, and I didn't put him on the list, but he certainly can be on the list. And here's the thing: if you're the Los Angeles Galaxy, uh, you take your time—not too much time, but you take your time—and you make sure. Because you can't afford to mess uh, mess this one up, especially, and we don't know if there's other things that are going to fall here. We, this was Guillermo Barsculoto, but you got behind the scenes, you got Dennis Teclosa, you got Chris Klein, uh, you have uh, Jovan Karowski, uh, you know, people behind the scenes there that for now seem to be safe. And look, someone like Chris Klein has been there for a long time, and he he's going to be given the benefit of the doubt because he has a... Uh, he has a past and a history of success for this team. 
So I know people are screaming and yelling. Everybody wants people to lose their jobs and, and changes to happen. That may or may not, uh, may, may, not, may or may not happen. And that may or may not be the right thing to do. But that's one reason why you keep people around that even though they are now associated and attached to this failure, they are also associated and attached to the good that happened and a lot of good that happened, uh, happened before. And that, as I said, gives you a, a, pretty, uh, a pretty long leash uh, going forward. Um, you know, all of the different people that I mentioned in that list, you never know. You never know. You know, we, we love to play the game of characterizing people simply based on the way they acted here or the, what they said here or an interview that they gave here or something they did on the sideline here. Uh, and you never know who's going to actually come in and wow you. You never know who's a good coach and a, a, but but also is a good coach that interviews well. You never know who's a good coach, but interviews poorly. Also, it's 2020. And so I think that, that the recognition, and rightly so, of expanding the pool and kind of going out of the traditional type of comfort zone when it comes to hiring coaches is going to is going to happen. Some of it will be some of it will be done just just for looks and just for kind of virtue signaling. Uh, I, I get that, but I think some of it will it will be will be genuine. And that's why, you know, you hear the Jill Ellis. Anytime there's a coaching uh, vacancy right now, it's going to be Jill Ellis, Jill Ellis, Jill Ellis. Now, the reason why you hire Jill Ellis is because you believe that she is the best person for the job. And you have to get over a big obstacle when you're, uh, when, when you're interviewing someone like Jill Ellis. And that is that the vast majority and vast majority of success that she has had as a coach has been with the elite of the elites, the best players in the world. And even if you're going to the Los Angeles Galaxy, that's well, certainly not the case now with the team that you're going to in, inherit, or DC United for that matter, which is where she has been, uh, has been linked. And you're going to have to convince whoever you're interviewing that this is how I would do things, and this is how I would do things differently. And while you judge me on the elite of the elites and the, and the, the best teams out there where I've had success and where people say I just threw out the ball, this is why I'm able to be flexible and I'm able to adapt and adopt to a situation where I'm not given the best. And as I've said before, that would apply to someone like Zinedine Zidane or Pep Guardiola right there. So this is going to be a fascinating process. I wish there was a reality show that would follow the process of hiring a new coach, whether it's in DC United, uh, maybe, and, and with the Los Angeles Galaxy. I don't think that that is going to happen uh, right now, but that's a long answer to your question. And the answer, the, the, the short answer is that, yes, I definitely think that the Los Angeles Galaxy would consider someone like Robbie Keane uh, or Landon Donovan. What else, Mossy? That's it. Um, all right. Well, that I think is going to wrap it up for our uh, Major League Soccer talk. As I said, so much is going to be decided uh, when that music stops at the end of, uh, of this week. Uh, we, look we look forward to it. Sit down, get your popcorn out because there's going to be some happy people and some very, very sad and angry people. Kind of like what's going on in our country right now. So, so how's that for a, uh, a parallel? All right, Masi, uh, we are going to take a little break here. And when we come back, we are going to delve into what happened uh, over in Europe, whether it's Champions League or the actual uh, club games uh, that went on, because there was a lot of interesting stuff uh, that happened. Uh, don't go away. As I said, we'll be right back uh, after this very, very short word. Moving on.
Okay, we're back, and uh, we're going to take a little European roundup here. Uh, okay, Champions League, Mossy. The uh, Champions League was back last week. Last week, all sorts of interesting games that uh, that happened. Uh, what we're going to do is because because a lot of these these teams and these individual players that we're, we may talk about here also featured on the weekend in terms of the things that they did and their uh, and their clubs uh, did. So we're going to separate it out. First, we're going to talk about Champions League and, and what happened. What what results stood out to you other than uh, Manchester United demolishing? RB Leipzig with a uh, a Rashford hat trick as a as a substitute. Manchester United's back, baby. This is it. They're awesome. Well, no, as you mentioned, the games are coming fast and furious now, and everybody's struggling for consistency. It's hard to be uh, at your best every three days, and so there are certain teams like Barcelona and Manchester United where there's a huge chasm between their Champions League form and their domestic form. They're feeling great in one competition, and then three days later they take the field in the other one, and it's like they're entering like an alternate reality. And so, uh, you mentioned Manchester United are a prime example of that. Fantastic result for them, five nil over Leipzig. Rashford with the hat trick. Remember, they won away to PSG match they won. So. Um, a lot of us, including myself, thought United would have a hard time getting out of this group with PSG and Leipzig. And now they might be the first team to clinch a knockout stage spot. Their next two games are against Istanbul, Bashak Shahir, which if they take care of business in those two games, then they'll be through. So uh, United doing very well in the Champions League. The other uh, results that caught my eye, Barcelona had their best performance of the season. Again, there's a team that's struggling domestically. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, faring well in the Champions League, they go to Turin and win 2-0 away to Juventus. Dembele and Messi with the goals. Griezmann played well. Uh, Pedri, the youngster, was terrific. Um, disappointing performance for Juventus. No Ronaldo. He was still uh, sitting out because of the COVID. Uh, and I thought an odd post-game press conference from Andrea Pirlo, who I like, and I think should be given plenty of time there. But... Um, he leaned in too heavily into this narrative that Juventus are rebuilding and they have a long way to go before they can get to the level of a Barcelona. And first off, this is Juventus. And secondly, uh, this Barcelona does not need to be looked at in those terms. So I thought it was just a weird interview all the way around. But that's sort of the tack that he took after this loss, which was interesting. Well, he may be a young and experienced coach, but he knows all right, how to deal with a press conference and try to limit expectations or lower expectations. But like you said, that that's not going to fly uh, both against Barcelona, this Barcelona, and uh, the fact that, I mean, you could argue that Juventus has improved. And yet, both from a Champions League and uh, a Serie A perspective, they're not. They're not. Sh they're. They're not showing it. Uh, you mentioned uh, a couple other things here. So Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Bayern. You know, they all. They all cruise. Uh, they get the wins that they need, whether it was home or away. Bayern away. Uh, that type of stuff. So there weren't real any any hiccups or problems along those lines. On the but Chelsea you did mention front, uh, Real Madrid. Pulisic did come on and get a get a goal against Krasnodar. So always good. Uh, always some, good. Some, uh, some bad news with him, him a few days after that, but at yep. least on the Champions League front, it was positive. Yep. What about the uh, the two two result in uh, in Gladbach for Real Madrid? Obviously, they came back. It's a point, but they they in a year where Barcelona isn't looking good, then you have this Real Madrid that you think could be licking their chops, and yet they don't look great either. Yeah, uh, this was they salvaged the point pretty miraculously here because Gladbach were up two 0 at home and looking very comfortable at the end there, and then two goals out of nothing, Benzema and Casemiro. So. Gladbach have to really be kicking themselves and it showed that Real Madrid still have this magic in this competition. They can somehow pull results 
out of you know just thin air and so uh you know you're right overall it's 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 not great for Real Madrid but certainly a point is better than a loss would have been and so it kind of staved off a crisis there for a few days the the, the Madrid media chose to play up more the, the 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 fight that they showed late in the game rather than the performance overall um and then you know the other thing to come out of this match day is uh, Neymar limped off injured in the first half of PSG's game against Istanbul Basakshi here and keep an eye on that because there's a little PSG Brazil battle brewing here um Tuchel came out and said that uh, Neymar is going to miss all of PSG's games until the international break and then he had it and he probably shouldn't play for Brazil either because that would send the wrong message the idea being that it would just be bad optics if he didn't play any games for PSG and then flew to South America and played for Brazil in the qualifiers. But, you know, Brazil isn't worried about optics. They're worried about qualifying for the World Cup. And you look at it, PSG's last game before the international break is November 7th. And then Brazil has two games, November 13th, home to Venezuela, November 17th, away to Uruguay. And I'm sure Chichi's thinking, I don't really need him to win that home game against Venezuela, but I would love to have him for that away game against Uruguay. And, you know, 10 days is a long time for a player to recover from an injury. So I'd like to have our own doctors take a look at him. And if he's going to be fit by November 17th, I'm going to keep him in the squad and I want to play him in that game. Uh, but so we'll see. I mean, it, listen, it might be a moot point because he might be injured enough that he can't play in that game anyway. But just keep an eye on that one because PSG haven't really put out an exact timetable. Uh, Brazil haven't cut him from their squad yet. They've made all sorts of other changes. But Neymar, they're still kind of holding out hope for it. So, so keep an eye on that one. Well, I mean, if if you're injured, right, and they, they put a, a length of the injury that you're out, and you know, if it's a week or 10 weeks, whatever it ends up being, it, wherever that falls, wherever the end of that falls, if it just happens to fall in a moment where you could be playing for the national team, that's that's not the player's fault. Or I mean, I know it, the optics of it, I get it. But if he is fit in a window, it just happens to fall in the window, then I don't know. I mean, play him, right? <laughs> that certainly that's how I hope it goes but uh yeah and by the way both PSG goals in that win over Istanbul Başakşehir here by Moise Keane who's off to a very good start to life there that's a talented young player who uh failed at Everton but a change of scenery might have done him some good to get his career back on track so so that's what caught my eye on match day two uh and then you know spinning it forward to this upcoming uh, I'm sorry let me just ask, let me ask uh, one question before you go and, and maybe I because I don't necessarily know um and maybe maybe our listeners and viewers out there have a have a better idea. The you know when you see Manchester United beat RB Leipzig, I mean we've we've talked about RB Leipzig and and the quality that exists there when it comes to that team. How much of it is a a sense of I guess relief that a team like Manchester United is playing against um, somebody that's not in the Premier, the Premier League, okay? And so therefore the comfort level, the understanding, the style, or, or, you know, how much, why does a result like that happen, Mossy? Is is it, like I said, just, it's a different tournament and therefore it's a different mindset and mentality? Um, or or are the styles between cultures and, and leagues so different that sometimes they just match up and produce something like that? It's a great question. You know, I know Roy Keane uh, had a, rant after United's loss to Arsenal and he said yeah yeah I know the Champions League was great but it's a whole different animal playing a big Premier League game and so maybe there is something to that that it's a whole different mentality and they maybe they play a little looser in the Champions League 
uh, than they do in the Premier League. But it, it's a great question. It's it's really tough to because uh, Leipzig are just as good a team to me as Arsenal or, or Spurs, who United lost six one to. And so it doesn't totally make sense. But I mean, maybe if we're, it just is just a wacky year where teams are going to be more. Uh, up and down than usual and it could be great one day horrible the next so maybe it's down to that but you're right it's a very very interesting question you know i I was always asked to explain home field advantage and and it's and it's very difficult it might just be an innate type of thing and a a human behavioral type of thing and, and obviously mentality wise that you you just can't explain it it's it's just there and when you shut off from participating in in one competition and move to another you do get that reset type of thing and maybe you know maybe that's it and maybe it's maybe it can't i i can't define it but i know it when i see it <laughs> so so and we'll say and to your point i don't know how much 2020 is playing into a lot of the things that we are seeing and that that's what's going to be interesting if and when when sorry when we get back to uh a a, a more traditional normal if there is a reverting or how much of the stuff that we have seen and done changes going forward the way that we that we uh, that we do things. I don't know. Uh, Mossy, I, I, I digress. I'm sorry about that. Uh, you wanted to at least uh, spin it ahead to some of the games uh, that, that uh, took your fancy here going forward. Yeah, so the games I have my eye on this week, uh, Real Madrid host Inter, uh, no Lukaku for Inter, which mm. is a big, big miss. And then Leipzig host PSG, no Neymar there. Um, so that's a game that if Leipzig want to get out of this group, uh, they need to win because uh, Neymar presumably will be back uh, by match day four on the other side of the international break when these two teams meet again in Paris. And so you would favor PSG to win that game. So Leipzig need to capitalize here on the fact that PSG are kind of all over the place, missing players, and get a result here. Otherwise, it would not bode well for them and their chances of getting out of this group. I remember these two teams met in the semifinals uh, last season, that bubble in Lisbon, PSG won 3-0. Uh, so that's a game I have my eye on. And then Atalanta hosts Liverpool. That one could be fun as well. We know Atalanta, no trouble scoring goals. And they, they face a Liverpool team that's conceded the most goals in the Premier League and yet is atop the table, amazingly enough. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. Uh, let's, like you said, let's uh, transition over to, uh, you know, just a quick jaunt around uh, Europe when it comes to uh, the club situation. We'll start over in England. Uh, we, we just talked about Manchester United. And so then they, they follow up that drubbing of RB Leipzig with just a, uh, a, a, a horrible result in losing at home to Arsenal, uh, one nothing. That one stood out, obviously, uh, and is always going to. Spurs get the win. They're in second now, uh, I think. Gareth Bale, seven and a half years or something since he last scored for, for Spurs, <laughs> come, comes on and, he's, and he scores a goal. Uh, and then... You guys all told me that Everton was really, really good, all right? And then they come out and lose to uh, Newcastle. Now, I know they're missing starters. It gets into a bigger question of, uh, can you be a great team if you're only great when everything is perfect, when all your players are healthy, uh, everybody's in form, uh, and and everything is going going great? Because I, I look at great teams, and I would still say someone like Real Madrid that stuff happens and they still find a way. It might not be pretty, but they, they still find a way uh, to, to get results. And if Everton, like I said, is just this fine-tuned, fancy, expensive car that, God forbid, one nut isn't tightened or something goes out and the entire car won't go, 
then that's problematic going forward. Uh, stuff that stood out to you EPL-wise, Mossy. Well, uh, Liverpool uh, beat West Ham 2-1. Uh, Jota came on and scored a late winner. The interesting thing there is, remember, Liverpool ended up not signing Timo Werner because there was sort of a mutual recognition that that Liverpool front three is pretty entrenched, and anybody you'd be signing would ostensibly be a backup, and Werner was overqualified for that role. So they went for Jota instead, a guy they felt like fit more the profile of a super sub for Liverpool but what's ended up happening is Firmino's had a nightmarish start to the season and Jota's played so well where that's becoming a real thing now where there's a, a faction of Liverpool fans that think Jota should start whoa, instead of Firmino. Whoa, and, and it could end up that Diogo Jota is the guy to break up that front whoa, three. Whoa, whoa. Stop the pre- Hold on, Mossy. Really? Is this, is this really happening? This is it's a thing. It's come to yeah. an end. This you can, is uh, it. You can text our, our friends, uh, Keith Costigan and Zach Kenworthy, after the pod and ask uh, their take on it. But it's... Really? <laughs> what, do, well, do you agree yep. with those people? I mean, this would have you going against your countrymen. I mean, has it gotten to the point where he is, is in this rut? I mean, is it just a temporary thing or is this the changing of the guard? You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drop him yet, but I will say Firmino kind of skates by sometimes. He's one of those players that it's become a litmus test on whether you quote-unquote really understand the game because he's not one to be judged based on goals. He does all these other little things. But sometimes you get so caught up in the little things that you forget the big things matter too. You are a forward. You do need to score a goal every now and then. And his, his goal-scoring record lately is absolutely putrid. So, uh, yeah, if he doesn't get going on that front and Jota is scoring goals every game, then I, it's something you're going to have to at least think about at some point in the season. So keep an eye on that one for sure. Uh, you mentioned Tottenham. Uh, Bale comes on, gets the winner. Uh, on a cross by Reguillon, by the way, who's proven to be a terrific signing. I know Tim Sherwood cast some doubt on that one on the basis that this guy hadn't played in the Premier League yet, so how do we know if he's a good player? But Sergio Reguillon, the left back, actually uh, has shown himself to be a pretty good player. He provides the assist here on Bale's goal. Mourinho takes a little shot at Real Madrid afterwards. He says, I can't wait to uh, hop on the internet and see what the Madrid papers say about Bale scoring this goal. So... (laughs) All right, anything else EPL-wise before we uh, hop over to another country? Uh, Well, uh, yeah, you you, you mentioned Arsenal beating United. Uh, Again, I keep saying this, Arteta, it hasn't been the champagne football you would have expected. Signing this classy Spanish midfielder was an assistant to Pep at City, but he's shown this knack for putting together smart game plans against the other big clubs and and snatching results. He did it again here. Thomas Partey looks like it's just going to be an incredible signing for them. He's like the new Patrick Vieira. I mean, he was – Terrific in the midfield. And then Gabriel, the Brazilian center back, they signed uh, very, very good as well. Uh, Speaking of Brazilian center backs, Thiago Silva, I want to mention him for one second because, you know, his first game for Chelsea against West Brom, he made a bad mistake. And, you know, Premier League folk on Twitter were all over him pushing this narrative that, you know, this is a guy coming from Ligue 1. He's not going to adjust to the Premier League. And, hey, this isn't France, pal. And this isn't the Farmers League. And guess what? Since then, he hasn't put a foot wrong. And, and Chelsea have, have conceded a goal with him in the lineup. And Mendy, too, in goal has been a, a big acquisition. And so uh, Chelsea, they, they beat Burnley 3-0. Now, the, the downside here is Christian Pulisic was slated to start this match. He gets injured in warm-ups. Doesn't look like anything st- serious, but still, because it's him, you know, your antenna is up on um, – but what was your reaction there? I mean, very yeah, disappointing. I mean, it's, it's sad and it's disappointing, but it's not surprising. I mean, this is, this is who he is right now as a player. And the – it's – call it – you know, give, give it a name, injury prone, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. The, the fact is that his body – is such that it it breaks down and it breaks down um, 
at 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 bad times. And like you said, it doesn't look to be serious, but enough for him to believe that he couldn't go. And you know, I've 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 said time and time again, it's a you know, staying healthy is a skill and a talent, and he has yet to develop uh, develop it now. It doesn't mean it's not frustrating for him. And we saw the actual video of him in warm-up getting hurt and throwing down his his, uh, his penny and and obviously was frustrated and angry and, and distraught at what has now become a common occurrence. So I, I don't know how you fix it either. You know, it's one of those talents that you can't really... Well, you can, you can work on it because you can understand your body better. And this is also a, a player who has played at a very high level through a, a growth period. I mean, just the way he looks right now is different than he looked a year ago and, and a few years ago when he came on the scene at, at, uh, at Dortmund. So his body is changing. And with that has to come, you know, an understanding of, of what he can and what he can't, uh, what he can't do. From a practical perspective... If, if Christian Pulisic isn't on the field, it, it's obviously a problem for him and for Chelsea. It's a problem for the uh, U.S. Uh, U.S. men's national team going forward because we want him healthy so he can do the great stuff that he uh, that he does. So I mean, everybody. It, it was interesting to watch the American soccer Twitter community out there see the see the lineup come out, be very excited to see him play, and then just completely drop uh in uh, in depression and sadness for him and you do you feel you feel bad for him because he obviously he wants to play but his body has other uh has other ideas and then on the positive front for uh american players this weekend as we transition to italy weston mckinney started and was excellent uh, got an assist to Morata on one of the goals as Juve won 4-1 against Spezia. Uh, Ronaldo made his return in this game, comes off the bench and gets two goals. I mentioned everybody had been starting to criticize Pirlo. And boy, uh, life is a lot better when you have Ronaldo around, right? It's a hell he can, of a sub. He can sort of lift those dark clouds very he, quickly. Uh, and it, it, I don't know if you saw his interview after the game, but it was very Zlatan-esque uh, in the way that he talked about, uh, you know, Cristiano is back and that's all that matters. It was He was obviously channeling... <laughs> Uh, Zlatan. So like, they, they see everything. Whether they tell you or not, they see everything. And speaking of Zlatan, he just continues. He gets a bicycle kick winner for Milan against Udinese. They win 2-1. Milan atop the table. Zlatan atop the scoring charts with seven goals. Ronaldo is at uh, five. So those two could have a fun uh, scoring battle. I don't know if Zlatan can keep this up. I, my money would be on Ronaldo blowing past him. But nevertheless, I mean, Zlatan, just an incredible All right, start hold to on. Hold on with your Zlatan. I mean, you're, you're, you're burying the lead here, okay? Uh, my good friend Tony Miola, who is a AC Milan fan, the Milanistas out there. I mean, this is, un, this is amazingly kind of, uh, and somebody told me not to use rarefied air because they, they, they say I, they, they think I use it too much. Uh, this is not rarefied air in the history of AC Milan, but certainly in the recent history. They're back, baby. They are they are at the top, leading Serie A. You mentioned what Zlatan is bringing to it, but this is this is the AC Milan type of uh, performance and aura that has been missing for a long time. I don't know how long it lasts, but right now, uh, AC Milan fans, 
uh, out there have got to be feeling very, very uh, uh, good about themselves uh, going forward. And we may, we may, we may have a actual race for the Scudetto that includes AC Milan. Another, let's see how long this lasts, is in Germany, where uh, Dortmund won again, 2-0 over Armenia. Hummels with both goals. Uh, Bayern took care of Cologne. Bayern and Dortmund right now level on points at the top of the table, each with five wins in six games. I mentioned at the start of the season, of course my money's on Bayern to win it again, but Dortmund are talented enough that they might be able to churn out the points at a very high rate too and be able to at least make it somewhat interesting. So far, so oh good on that front. But you're, you're, I have seen this movie. This I have of. seen this movie time and time again. Well, you're really going to do this. I mean, how many years did we sit over there at Fox as this as the new season started? And we, what segment are we going to do? Well, we're going to do the segment where I'd we talk one, about how Dortmund's going to challenge this year. We you know we focus so much on attacking players and goal scorers. One player I do want to mention is Joshua Kimmich, who we, we know is a great player, but he's even taken his game to another level this season. He is entering for me like best player in the Ooh. world conversation he's he's i'm telling you he's up there like he is so freaking good on top of everything else it seems like every game now he gets either a goal or an assist so he's even adding that sort of element to his game i mean he is just phenomenal any position you put him in he excels at it it's amazing they they put him in goal he'd probably be one of the best goalkeepers in the world but uh and then we can finish yeah. with spain which uh, again, Barcelona living this dual reality, very good in the Champions League, but they're winless in four in La Liga. They drew 1-1 against Alaves. Uh, they are all the way down in 12th. They're already eight points back of Real Madrid and lost at home to them. Real Madrid with a 4-1 win over Huesca. One of the goals, a spectacular strike from Hazard, who, listen, as a fan of the game, I would love nothing more for Eden Hazard to get back to his best uh, because he's such a fun player to watch. But, boy... Real Madrid, the overreaction from week to week and how narratives can shift based on one game. Now it's like Chelsea Hazard is back and he's going to be the savior and he's going to lead us to all these great things. And I mean, it's one game against Huesca. Can we wait and see if he has like three or four in a row like this before we proclaim Eden Hazard back? But nevertheless, I suppose it was a good first step in the right direction for him. Uh, speaking of, st of steps in the right direction or, or, or steps backwards <laughs> in the wrong direction here, we know that that this that this year for Barcelona is there's there's a redemption reclamation type of uh, situation that is serious in that they want to by the end of this year be able to turn to Messi and say hey look these are the changes that we have made both on and off the field and this is a reason why you need to continue on with us how how successful so far, it's early days, I get it, but how successful so far? I mean, we're looking at a mid-table type of Barcelona right now. And you mentioned the success in Champions League, which it all plays, obviously, uh, what's happened off the field. But how successful in terms of this process of, of shining up Barcelona so that it appears as good as possible when, uh, when Messi has to make this next decision, I guess? Yeah, on the field, not all that successful. There's some interesting things happening there. Some good young players, Ansu Fati and Pedri, but I don't think he's been like overwhelmingly impressed by Kuman or, or the or the squad they've assembled. I think the jury is still out on whether he wants to commit his long-term future there. I mean, a lot will depend on the presidential election, which we can transition to that uh, because there was big news on that front. Uh, the current Barcelona president, Josep Bartomeu, resigned. Um, so he, he was coming up on the end of uh, the elections were originally supposed to be in 2021 and they already moved them up. Or, or I'm sorry, they were, they were supposed to be um, later in 2021. They moved them up a few months to March of 21. And now there's talk that they might even be moved up further than that, because right now you have an interim uh, board in place. So they want to get a new president in there 
relatively soon. And so, yeah, Bartomeu, who uh, inherited the job way back in 2014 on an interim basis because the president then, Sandro Rosell, had to resign in large part because of a scandal involving Neymar signing, the fact that he lied about how much money they paid and there were some tax issues related to that transfer. And so it's sort of ironic because Bartomeu came to power thanks to Neymar. And then, you know, he, he takes over in 2014. He gets re-elected in 2015. They win the treble that year, thanks in large part to that front three, Messi, Neymar, and Suarez, MSN. And then a lot of people point to Neymar's departure in the summer of 2017 as sort of the fork in the road moment where things started to go wrong for him. He reacted poorly to that, spent all this money on Dembele, Coutinho, it hasn't worked out. And then in the summer of 2019, when Messi and Suarez wanted Neymar back, he went for Griezmann instead. And so it's funny, Neymar, who hasn't even been there for half the time that Bartomeu was present, he's still managed to somehow be the central figure that's cast a cloud over Bartomeu's entire reign. So there have been a lot of articles to that effect lately, talking about Neymar and Bartomeu and how, how linked they are. Um, and, and, you know, Gab Marcotti, uh, no surprise here, wrote just an excellent piece about this whole notion of having... Uh, club presidents and operating in that way who get elected based on board members every six years. And, you know, we, we live in a country that has a presidential election this week. We all believe in in, in democracy. But Marcotti made an interesting point. It, it can be a downside of democracy, I suppose, if you want to look at it that way. It can lead to some short-term thinking. When you're the club president and you have an election around the corner, you're, you're sort of, there's an impetus there to make sure the team's really good and that you're spending money and, and doing things in sort of a short-term thinking rather than at times, you know, you wonder if, if you just have an owner who you know is going to be there long-term, then he can sort of take more of a wide-ranging, big-picture view of things. So I don't know. What do you make of well, that? I think what uh, I think what Marcotti is really getting at and, and making a case for is that these clubs are businesses and businesses first and therefore should be treated as businesses in terms of the decisions that they make and the understanding that there are uh, short term, medium term and long term consequences to those uh, to those decisions that they that they make. But I mean, part of the the romance and certainly th the tradition is that well, it's Mestin Club, right? It's it's more than a business, right? It's for the people, governed by the people, and that there is this democratic type of uh, of um, of process that goes on that give people a, a a say. So I I I completely agree with what Gab Marcotti is Marcotti is saying, but that that ship has sailed. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that, that Barcelona isn't a business; it's one of the biggest businesses in the world. And one last thing in Spain before we move on. I neglected to mention this earlier. João Felix, uh, two goals against Jesse Marsh's Salzburg in the Champions League, and then two goals at the weekend against Osasuna. That's four and two games for him. He He's a young player that looks like he might be putting it all together now. Again, I his struggles last season, I attributed them to Simeone just not knowing how to use him. It didn't affect my opinion of him at all. I think he's a wonderful, wonderful talent. And now it looks like even Simeone can't stop this kid from from becoming what he's destined to become. He is a wonderful talent and and is now scoring goals for fun. So Well, so here's what happens. In order to really seal the deal with Messi going forward, you give him the power to basically pack the court, all right? So you give him the power to uh, to populate who the leadership is off the field uh, and to anoint, and I know there's voting, but look, whatever Messi says is going to ha carry incredible weight. You talk about endorsements, you talk about political power and leverage. Uh, Messi, Messi, 
you think it was uh, it was a lot last uh, a couple months ago when he was screaming and yelling about potentially going think of what it's going to be like uh, a year from now going forward he could not just write his own check but write his his own situation and circumstance not that he hasn't for many many years anyway but all right well we'll see uh, we'll keep an eye on what's uh, what's going on over there off the field when it comes to the leadership at uh, at Barcelona all right Mossy before we move on though uh, I want to uh, congratulate uh, Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle, both members of not just Manchester City, but FA Cup winning Manchester City. They uh, won the final 3-1, to one, and uh, congratulations to them on that feat and just their continued success, uh, both individually and with the teams, whatever teams they end up showing, with, uh, showing up with, because it, it seems that if they are on your team, you win, and you win a lot. Congratulations to them. Uh, all right, Mossy, anything else before we move along? That's it. All right, we're going to take a little break here, and when we come back, we will have Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. Moving on. All right, we're back. It's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi or Ask Mossy for that matter. You send it on all the different uh, platforms out there, be it Twitter or Instagram or any of the other ones out there. I'm sure there's other ones, and there'll probably be more as we go along. There probably probably are already many more that I don't even know about. But send it to us, and we'll uh, we'll hunt those down. Uh, Mossy, what do people want to know about this week? First up, at Lloyd Heilbrunn, is Chicharito the biggest DP bust in MLS history? Ooh, that is a good question. Uh, it's it's still in progress, and so he, I think he if he stays and stays and plays in 2021 with a new coach and obviously with massive changes, he still has the opportunity to not be that. I think you know, given given the name. I mean, if I think about team or players that have come over the years that uh, are are oftentimes pointed at. Um, Gallardo, um, Marcelo Gallardo, even Claudio Reyna, um, uh, what are some other ones? Uh, Chris Boyd uh, over the years. And then, you know, for me, Lothar Mateus was a huge, huge disappointment and, uh, and bust. And that's a little, uh, that was a long time ago, but still, and there's plenty of others uh, out there. Uh, but I think given his name and the expectations, and I'm not saying that that, that other big-name players, but they, they, Chicharito is and certainly was a phenomenon. So I think you, at this point right now, you absolutely have a case to make. But, I mean, that Lothar Mateus time was horrible. Uh, and it, it, it doesn't get a lot of coverage uh, because there's not a lot of knowledge about what went on, but it was a complete and utter you-know-what show. And a, and a fiasco and a failure. Uh, right now, uh, I yeah, unless something changes dramatically, I, I'll, I will be hard pressed to find anything that even comes remotely close to what uh, what Chicharito is, or more importantly, I guess isn't right now. What would you say, Mossy? Well, look, I, I've been I've been saving this take for weeks, so I'm going to drop it here on Chicharito. Uh, when MLS. Uh, was founded in 1996 there was an early iteration of it in which it didn't seem to matter if you could still play or not if you were a big name you were welcome 
And that mentality was damaging to MLS. It gave rise to the whole retirement league thing. And thankfully, the league has moved away from that in the years since to the point where now when an MLS team is linked with a big name, a big part of the conversation is whether the move makes soccer related sense. Case in point, when Inter Miami was linked with Gonzalo Higuain, we didn't all just say, well, he's a big name, so it's a good move. There was a lot of debate about whether he'd be a good fit or not. Some people thought yes, others thought no. And to me, that debate is healthy. And what bothered me about Chicharito and the conversation surrounding his signing is that it felt like a throwback to 1996. Everybody was rushing to proclaim it one of the best signings in MLS history. And when I tried to point out to people, have you watched the guy play in the last couple of years? He's kind of washed up. And is he what the Galaxy need right now? It wasn't that people disagreed with me and said, no, I think he's going to do great. I got these looks of like, why are you overanalyzing this man? It's Chicharito. Hello, Mexican star, L.A., and I just think that's such flawed thinking. I mean, there's now 25 years of empirical evidence that for a signing to be a success and, and to be one that people look at positively, the guy has to perform. Uh, sure, you sign a big name, there's that initial burst of publicity, but if he doesn't play well and his team struggles, boy, that goes away really fast. And I don't care if you're David Beckham or anybody else, you have to perform on the field for it ultimately to be considered a successful signing. And I just think people lost sight of that with Chicharito and so I hope it, he's the last one of these signings that people judge like that. I mean, you know, if you're going to suggest, you know, Mario Balotelli to MLS, it better be because you think there's a team where Balotelli is actually a good fit and he's going to play week in and week out, score goals, help them win games. And not just because, whoa, Balotelli is such a big name. So just the mere fact of signing him is great. I, I don't know. That to me, that mentality kind of bothers me. What do you make I, of that? I, I, I agree with some of the stuff you're saying, but I, I, I think when you're looking at someone like Chicharito, okay, you're you're signing it yes there's a huge element of the brand and the uh, excitement and once again the um, the relevance that something like that can create that's that's undeniable but it's the same thing for for a Balotelli or anybody else but what you what you're saying is have you watched him lately okay what you have to say though when you're doing that is I'm watching this player and this player is not bad, but not good enough. And there are players that in a certain setting and circumstances, you would look at it and say, that player is good enough. He or she's just not in the right place. Okay, so ultimately, does it really matter? When you, when you look at Chicharito, Masi, does it really matter then where he's playing? If he's just not good enough, if that is the ultimate assessment right now of somebody like uh, Chicharito, then, then I completely agree. All the other stuff goes out the door. But if you truly believe that you're going to bring somebody in and in this new environment, that person is going to be the player that you believe that player can be, then I think it's completely. And by the way, if that person also has this added bonus of being incredibly famous and bringing a lot of attention, then then the fact that that person isn't playing well right now, I don't think that that should be as significant a factor. So I, I guess in the assessment, the final assessment of Chicharito for you, Mossy, is he a good player or not? Uh, not anymore. I mean, he's always been uh, an acquired taste. He's a, he's a type of player that I, I'm not a huge fan of, that sort of technically limited goal poacher, but I, I recognize there is a skill in being at the right place at the right time and being a good finisher and goals win games. So, you know, obviously having a guy that scores at a, at a, at a 
high rate is a valuable commodity on a team. Well, hold on but a I second. think his hold on a second. I feel like I feel like you're <clears throat> I feel like you're pulling your punches here. It's it's okay to say that Chicharito is really not that good a player. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think his level of fame is always been vastly disproportionate to his abilities as a player. He's never really excited me. Or well, much I, me as a player. Mossy, I wouldn't know anything about that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, staying on this Mexican U.S. theme, I guess this next one is interesting. Uh, I'm told that uh, our producer Luis Aguilar is very curious to hear your take on this question. Um, at Drive uh, underscore Shot Ten, why do you think there has been better young American players and Mexican players the last few years? Ooh, I can understand why uh, Luis is uh, bristling at something like this because it already presupposes that 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 this is true. Uh, they've they've already moved on and they've already decided whoever drive shot ten is, and and it goes back to something that we have uh, we have talked about. Yes, there are American players that are playing at what we uh, perceive to be the highest level and the best leagues, and in many cases some of the best teams in the world. And so, therefore, for this person and for many people, that means that American players. Uh, are better because if you put it up to the number of players uh, from uh, from Mexico uh, and Mexican national team players in particular, it it pales in comparison. Or the level, either in uh, uh, league or more importantly in terms of team, isn't on the same level as uh, what the Americans are doing. But that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean anything, okay? I know it, it changes perception, and we're living it right now. We are all gaga because specifically of where these American players are playing. And that's a good thing. It's That's a healthy thing. That's a human thing. I, I get that. But I, I remember, I'm, I've been around long enough to know that what the gap means. And for those that, that haven't been around uh, in the American soccer circles, we have talked about this gap between, and it's always between us and Mexico, and it's often manifests in uh, the national team. And so when we beat Mexico, the gap has occurred. And when we lose to Mexico, the gap has occurred the other way. And Mexico's uh, uh, surpassed us or, or, or pulling away from us. And I was there, I, I remember a time where it was, uh-oh, they've, they really, we've really lost it. And it's all a bunch of BS, okay? And I'm not saying it's not important to have players playing and it's not good and you're not hedging your bets by having players playing in good leagues and for uh, for good teams. But I wouldn't automatically say, well, the gap has widened now and, and the U.S. has now, uh, has now pulled ahead and therefore when the U.S. and uh, Mexico play that obviously because of the pedigree and the CVs that we now have taking the field that the U.S. is going to beat Mexico. As a matter of fact, just from a pure psychological standpoint, I think that this is going to be a motivating force for the Mexican national team. If, you know, when, when this happens, and who knows when this is going to happen, obviously uh, we potentially have games next summer and then obviously for, uh, for, for, uh, for qualifying when that, uh, that happens. So to your to your point, you know this goes in this goes in waves and it goes up and down. And just because a player isn't playing at what you think is a great league or a great team doesn't mean that that player isn't great. And just because 
not enough of your players, you don't see enough of your players excelling in the best leagues and the best teams, doesn't mean that your national team is great. And it doesn't mean that you are losing that battle between, in this case, the United States and Mexico for, you know, the, the ability to, you know, puff our chest out and say, look, look who we are and look what we what we have done. I don't know. Is that does that answer your question? Mossy, what do you think? Yeah, I keep saying I think this dynamic is fascinating. When we last left off, uh, Mexico was embarrassing the U.S. 3-0 in that friendly. And that was when the U.S. was still in this sort of post-Trinidad funk. And the narrative uh, coming out of that game, I remember we talked about it on the pod, was, oh, my God, the gap is really wide. And Mexico just seems so far above the U.S. now. And, and they've been the ones pumping out players like nobody's business the last few years. And now they have Tata Martino. And without the U.S. actually playing a game, just as you mentioned, some of these transfers involving U.S. players and their exploits at club level now have everybody thinking that the U.S. has turned the tables talent-wise, and there's all this handwriting on the Mexico side, and they're being asked questions of, like, how come we don't have players starring for these clubs that the U.S. does? So it makes it a very fascinating uh, dynamic when these two teams actually take the field again against each other. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you just but said. It also, um, brings up, sorry, it, it also brings up the fact that um, when – you know, we talk so much about our insecurity <laughs> in the American soccer community. It, it, it's it's there also for other communities. And the, uh, sure, the, yeah. the the Mexican soccer community is insecure about the way that they are viewed, both internally uh, and, and domestically and internationally, and how it's reflected and manifests in, in where these teams uh, are, are playing and how they look at themselves and how far they've come or how, how far they still have to go. And it's, like I said, I guess it's just it's just human nature. One postscript to last week's pod. Uh, the U.S. has this uh, friendly against Wales coming up, and I said last week that Berhalter should only call up European-based players. Uh, I thought of it as, as soon as we were done taping. It was kind of stupid on my part. I guess there's no harm in calling up MLS players from teams that miss the playoffs. Uh, there's no conflict there. So uh, I suppose uh, when people say there, there could be some MLS players sprinkled into that squad, that's probably what they mean. So, yeah, there's no issues there. So. All right, so Cincinnati, uh, you guys are <laughs> feel Feel free to... Pill for the <laughs> the cupboard. Uh, okay, uh, uh, what else, Masi? And we'll end on this uh, at Philonic. Uh, what makes a player better than another? What are the things that absolutely can't be taught? Speed, handling, passing, awareness, tactics, stamina—all can be. So, what's the quantifiable difference? Height and desire, maybe. Well, you can't teach height. That's uh, you're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> And, and there's only certain things, you know, speed, I would also say, you know, yes, you can get marginally faster and quicker and you can work on technique and explosiveness. And, and obviously your strength is t stuff that you can get better, but there's, there's limitations to the human body and your, your DNA as to what you are ultimately able to do. Desire is something different. Uh, and, and really what you're talking about here, Philonic, is the head. The mentality and that's the type of stuff that i because you know when we talk about great players all right you know there's well there's a lot of good players but there's there's few great players and oftentimes you will see great players that will do things and i know that there's plenty of players that when they see that they say i can do that and yeah, you, you, you probably can, but there's a, a thousand other things that that player does 
that make that player great. And many of them have to do just with the pure technical side of the game and things that they do. Either they do it faster or they do it better. Uh, but a lot of it also has to do with the way that they see themselves, the way that they see the game, the way that they see the world. And it really comes down to mentality and the, the, the mental strength that you have to deal with adversity, to deal with pain, to deal with fame, to deal with a million things that sometimes have nothing directly to do with kicking the ball, but ultimately are very, very important to, that you have the tools to be able to deal with them. And people deal with them differently. There are those, for example, like a Zlatan or a Cristiano that embrace the, the image and the larger-than-life type of thing and the fame, and they, they, they harness it in a certain way and use it to their advantage because they know that that's what they are comfortable with and that's what can be fuel for them. There are others like... Um, uh, a Messi or a, I don't know a Pirlo or that are much more subdued and recognize very early on that that's not their that's not their comfort zone that's not who they are and they can even create an environment that protects them from that and enables them from a mental perspective to to be in that I guess it would be a a safe space for them. So, I mean, it's, it's a good question um, as to, you know, what makes players better than the other. But I've often, I mean, after you get by the actual mechanics of a player, and like I said, there's, there's only certain stuff. Practice, 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 I get it. But there's only certain s stuff where you can be ultimately that much better, where it's going to have an effect and it's going to put you over the top. So, you know, there, there are players where, you can work as hard and maybe even harder than, and you're still not going to be able to beat them. Just from a pure physical standpoint in what they have and what you don't. But when it comes to where you're on their level, okay, and it's a very, they're very small margins, that one, that's where it comes to what's between your ears. And like, as I said, your you know, your ability to believe in yourself, your ability to envision success and live that out, your ability to compartmentalize, your ability to deflect, um, all, all of those different things, I think, are what makes, and look, it's what makes any athlete great. And it's what makes, you know, you, you watch a documentary about Jordan or anybody else you know, yeah, you can see the incredible things that that person does from a physical perspective. But if you really are getting a glimpse into who they are, there will be moments where they function on a different plane. They think of things differently. Uh, and in the, and the essence of who they are is in the way that they think of those things and then act on their thoughts. So that's, that's I think, what, you know, what makes players better or 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 worse once you've gotten past all the hard work and i'm not discounting the hard work that can make you compete and can make you better but it as i said it's limiting it can only get you so far and then that next little part if you are going to compete and be better is uh is your ability uh to think the game as opposed to play the game uh mossy anything else from uh ask alexi standpoint that's it 
All right, we're going to take one more little break here. And when we come back, I will have my one for the road. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Uh, My one for the road today. Uh, We are certainly living in interesting times. As I said uh, at the beginning of this pod, we were recording as we do on Monday, Monday, November 2nd in 2020, which means that if you are listening to this right now, you are either listening to it on election day or post election day. And so our world may be in the process of changing and uh, turning upside down or may already have and I don't know what that is going to look like so I am coming to you from the past right now. Uh, We all recognize that uh, the the opportunity and the privilege and the freedom uh, to vote is something that uh, we all take seriously. Um, I am uh, you know showing my my virtue and uh, my my awesomeness and my wokeness or whatever. I got my I voted thing, so I I indeed uh, I indeed did vote. I know that there is this uh, this mantra out there that you have to vote, and if you don't vote, you are uh, letting yourself and your country down, and, and you abdicate any type of uh, opinion or voice. That's not the case, and you know I. I don't like to vilify people because of a choice that they uh, that they make. I want you to vote. I hope that you voted. Um, and let's be honest, a lot of times when people tell you to vote, they they want you to vote for who and what they believe in really when it comes uh, when it comes right down to it. I do want you to vote and I do hope that you uh, that you voted. but I also recognize that if you uh, are expressing that freedom and living that freedom in your decision not to vote, you're, opinion and your voice is still as valid and as American as anybody else uh, anybody else out there. Uh, you, you just will not have contributed to what is is now happening or has happened depending on when you are listening to this. Uh, I have uh, been around for a while. I was calculating it this morning. This is my ninth presidential election that I have uh, voted in all, going all the way back to uh, well 1988 uh, I suppose. I have voted all across the spectrum, uh, as many of you that follow me or listening listen to me know that uh, I don't tell you who to vote for or who I voted for, um, uh, and that's that. That is by design. We certainly live nowadays in an incredibly uh, divided country, more so maybe than uh, than times in the past. Red, blue, Republican, Democrat, uh, conservative, liberal, 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 any other. Uh, difference, uh, difference out there that you want to throw uh, throw in. Uh, you are much more than uh, your vote. While it may, in these times, come to uh, in a certain way define you or characterize you or paint you as uh, as something with all of the different projections and, and, and assumptions that we lump on people. Uh, I think that that's simple. I think it's incomplete. Um, it's an incomplete picture of of uh, of who you are. But as we go through this thing, you know, we, we talk about soccer and uh, we love to talk about soccer, but we are obviously members of not just the American soccer community, but the American community. And so as our world starts to change and things happen, uh, I hope everybody's smart. I hope everybody is 
uh, careful, uh, and I hope everybody is uh, is kind. And I do ultimately believe in the inherent goodness of America and of Americans. And I know maybe that's a privileged thing to say, and uh, but I do believe in it, and I will continue to believe in it. Uh, and there will be problems. There will be good and bad stories as we go on, but that's part of uh, America and the country that I feel is the greatest country in the world. Not without flaws and not without problems and, and real genuine ones, but still the greatest country in the world. Uh, and I'm reminded of that, uh, that scene in the big short. And I will repeat it here when um, the, uh, for those that don't know, the, uh, the movie that came out, eh, few years ago about a few years ago about the the uh, housing crisis and there's a scene when Brad Pitt's character is with the uh, two young investors and they've shorted the market and they are very very happy because they are set to make a lot of money and they start singing and dancing and he turns to them and says don't dance and as we get through this week and months and years ahead, um, I know that, that politics is, is a sport in and of itself, and we treat it as a sport. And there's a competition, and there's winners and losers. But um, in that moment, Brad Pitt is explaining to these two young people that in their moment of glory and in their winning, there is a whole other segment that is losing and that is sad and depressed and will be adversely affected. And so there's going to be winners and losers. Don't dance because uh, we are ultimately all of those winners and losers as America. And look, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to preach to anybody, but we're all thinking about our world. We're all thinking about our country. And we're all thinking about these extraordinary times that we are living in and going through when it comes to, uh, to 2020. And uh, I believe that there are better days ahead. Uh, as I said, I believe in our country and I believe in Americans and their inherent goodness. And I hope that that goodness is on display, maybe in a surprising way as we go forward. Uh, whether it's the soccer community or the greater American uh, community out there and the greater global community, because while we are <laughs> While we do talk about uh, soccer from an American perspective, we recognize that we are citizens of the world and we would continue to be so uh, and uh, and how important that is because it is a it's a wide world. Uh, Mossy, anything uh, before we head off into the uh, great unknown here? That's it. Uh, all right. Uh, I hope everybody uh, continues to download and listen and subscribe and do all the wonderful things when it comes to this podcast. Uh, we are incredibly appreciative and fortunate to be able to do it. And we thank you for your continued patronage. And we look forward to uh, talking to you a week from now when uh, we will still be here. I truly believe that. There are, there are better days ahead. So onward and upward, everybody. And as always, size the day. Yeah.